USC football might be on the rise once again. That's not all bad news for Oregon. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with all things Oregon Ducks. Thanks for liking, commenting, subscribing, wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Five-star views on Apple Podcasts. Love all of those as well. Well, always grinding out here for you, Duck fans. We had uh, some Wi-Fi issues here at the house in Black Butte, where my parents and I are renting at the moment. But I wasn't going to let that stop me. We got it figured out. We're working. We're grinding. And let's get into it. I don't think a USC resurgence is the worst thing in the world for the Oregon Ducks. I think, understandably, there will be plenty of fans who look at it and go, oh, no, not USC. Not again. They're going to be good again. They're going to be a conference contender again. There's some downsides there, but there's some upsides as well. Let's start with the downsides. Lincoln Riley's a good recruiter. Lincoln Riley's a very good recruiter. We saw that at Oklahoma. He had a bunch of top 10 classes. They brought in a bunch of great players, most of them on the offensive side of the ball. Though they did have Kenneth Murray, nice player for our boy Justin Herbert on the Chargers, but he knows how to recruit. And it has been something that Oregon is capitalized on in a pretty significant way over the last several years that USC has been down because in turn, the recruiting has gone down. Sorry, I didn't want to snuffle right into the mic right there. So their recruiting has gone down as well. As a result, Oregon has seen players like Kayvon Thibodeau, like Justin Flo, amongst others, come up to Eugene and it was kind of that big movement, right? It was the Cali flock was how it was, you know, kind of branded on, on social media. And it was a very, very real thing because USC was not bringing in the sort of in-state talent that they're accustomed to as a program. So if Lincoln Riley is able to have the sort of success that many expect he's going to, and, and I imagine he will, which I'll get to later on in today's show, he's now in a place at USC where he shouldn't just be able to recruit at a top 10 level. Their high school recruiting this year is no good, but they've used the transfer port, and I didn't expect it to be good, right? No one does. During a coaching change, expectations low. That That's the way that, that it just is, right? Because there's a whole bunch of moving parts. I don't think I need to go uh, a full, go, go in full depth there about that. I think we all understand that, that general concept, but they've used the transfer portal very, very well, better than basically anybody in the country, frankly. I also, I bet you didn't know this, uh, UCLA top five ranked recruiting class in the class of 2022. Just something that's... Uh, Worthy of note as we look at potential contenders in the Pac-12. But going forward, Lincoln Riley, I think USC fans are going to expect that he can get them to a top 10 caliber recruiting level. I mean, that's what he showed at Oklahoma. Now he goes to USC where he's got way more recruiting resources available to him. I don't know if it's necessarily more money, but it's probably a little bit more money than Oklahoma. But Oklahoma they're not exactly skimping on investment in their football program and athletics program writ large. I mean, their softball program is dude is out of this world. Good. But 
he's going to be able to recruit. He's got the money, got the investment, and he's got more talent in his backyard now, right? Before he was in Norman, Oklahoma, a place that I lived just a couple hours from right when I got out of college. Norman's a great place, but you don't have the sort of in-state talent in Oklahoma that you have in California, specifically in Los Angeles. It's just not even comparable, really. So he's now got more players that he doesn't have to go across the country to get. He's now got more players that he doesn't have to go long distances and convince them to come to Oklahoma. It's USC. It's, it's got a big brand. I think they'll, it'll be fine there. But it is a downside for Oregon because I don't think we're going to see a California state dominance the way that we've seen under, you know, just during the last four or five years or so as the recruiting profile of the Ducks ha has clearly elevated. But one thing that we have seen so far is early on, Oregon has shown they're capable of winning those sorts of battles. The Dan Lanning and company have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with players like Josh Connerly, who was supposed to go to USC, Jaleel Florence, who was down to USC, and the Ducks ended up choosing Oregon, of course. Those are the sorts of encouraging signs that, that have me feeling good about where the staff is at right now. We'll wait and see if the on-field product matches the, the off-field recruiting successes that they have had, but they've been numerous, but... That's certainly a downside is I don't think Oregon's going to get the sort of talent. They'll still get plenty of good players from the state of California, but will it be that Oregon is the premier recruiting brand in the state? No, probably not. At the very least, USC will draw level, maybe even surpass the Ducks as the number one school that the kids in California look to, but they've been look, looking elsewhere as of late, right? Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele, Mateo Uyunglele, DJ's younger brother has got a big time national recruitment. We've talked about him here on the show. So that's a downside. Another downside for the Ducks is, I think, the more obvious one, which is that if USC is very, very good and they get back to what they're capable of being as a college football program, it's going to be a little bit harder to win the Pac-12. That's undeniably true. You're going to have another team to go through, whereas right now, on a yearly basis for the last three or four seasons, it's kind of felt mostly like a two-horse race. It's been Oregon and Utah. And in the last two full seasons in the Pac-12, it's been Oregon and Utah. And those have become kind of the, the most premier brands nationally and regionally in the conference. If USC is going to elevate and put themselves in that mix, yeah, they're capable of being a team that is really, really tough to beat. And so you could have seasons where if you're going to win the Pac-12, you could have to beat USC twice, but not just beat USC twice, beat Lincoln Riley's USC twice where they're going to have some explosive offenses. They'll be bringing in big-time athletes already doing that via the transfer portal, right? They have Caleb Williams. We know they've got Travis Dye, which hurt. I, I figured he'd probably go to a Pac-12 school. I would have preferred he'd gone somewhere else, just not, not to USC. But he helps solidify that backfield along with Austin Jones from Stanford. They get Jordan Addison, the Bletnikoff winner from 2021, who comes over from Pitt. They've got a bunch of other – I mean, they're loaded, right? They've built kind of the best seven-on-seven -seven team that, that you could really find. But once Lincoln Riley has a couple of years to recruit, to establish his program, to, to implement his vision, get the guys that he wants into that system, not just Caleb Williams and a handful of transfers as well, but, but young freshman players, particularly off the, on the offensive line where they need the most help undeniably, then that's going to be a team that is capable of being a 10-11, maybe 12-win team in, in a season. I'm not saying... 10, 11, 12, and 0, you know, going into the Pac-12 championship game. But just overall, 10, 11, 12 games and whatnot. That was my dad who walked by in the background, by the way. So if you want to say hi on YouTube, by all means, go ahead. But um, I just noticed that as I was watching here on uh, on uh, while recording the show. But anyway, 
that could make it a little bit tougher, right? It's not going to be as easy, especially now that we're going to negate the importance of divisions, right? It's th- This is just one through 12. You have to be above USC. It's another contender. Those are the downsides. There are real upsides to USC being good for the Ducks, which I'll tell you about after I remind you our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, Go Mariners fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. The upsides of USC being good for Oregon are very real. They they are very, very real. If USC becomes what we expect them to be under Lincoln Riley, which I, I think they will, and after I tell you about the upsides, I'll get to that, you strengthen the Pac-12's conference profile as a whole. You have a tougher path, yes. However, if you strengthen the brand of the Pac-12 nationally and gain it more respect because you have three legitimate teams who could, in theory, make the college football playoff, which is going to be the standard for Lincoln Riley in the next several years. I don't think it's a reasonable standard to hold in year one, but I think it's a year reasonable standard to hold in you know year two, certainly year three, that they're at least in the mix contending for college football playoff spots. But if you get more national games, That means more revenue comes in for the conference as a whole. If they get to the playoff, that's more money for the conference, and that gets distributed to all the schools, including Oregon. But the other thing that's even more important than that, way more important than that, frankly, because Oregon's never really been short on money here, you strengthen Oregon's schedule. Think about this past season, 2021. Oregon catapults themselves into the college football playoff discussion. We were in one of the reveals, or one of the first reveals, because of that win at Ohio State. On an annual basis, ask yourself this question if you're you know, all negative and totally worried about, oh, USC is going to be really good. I don't want to be back. I like it when they're down, all that sort of stuff. I, I get that. But just ask yourself this question. On an annual basis, what is more likely? Beating a team like Ohio State, often on the road, or beating USC in a game that could be played at Otson? Now, sometimes when Oregon has these big-time home-and-home matchups, we were supposed to get Oregon-Ohio State at Austin. We didn't, but we went to the horseshoe, beat them anyway, which was pretty awesome. But I think we can all agree that that's not what you would call an incredibly repeatable formula, right? Oregon has played in those big-time early-season games. I think they should. I like that we went down to Dallas and played LSU, even though we lost. I like that we went to play Auburn in 2019, even though we lost. I want an aspirational program. I want to swing for the fences try and play with the big boys and show that we're able to contend on a national level. That's what I want the program to be. That's the goal. Those are the sorts of goals I want this program to set. But in the past, we have had more success beating USC at home or even in the Coliseum when USC is good than we have winning these early season non-conference games. And I think because it's an opponent you're more familiar with and one that you see pretty regularly, when you have a coach there who's who's been there for several seasons, right? It's going to be an easier thing to achieve. But beating USC in the last several years has not meant the same thing. Again, I will count 2020. That was not even a real college football season. 
beating USC the last few years hasn't meant the same thing as it used to, right? And, and on tomorrow's episode, which is why you should like and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this show, right? listening to or watching the show right now as my grammatical perfection comes into play uh, or my strive towards being grammatically perfect and such. I'm going to talk about tomorrow the best games Oregon and USC have played over the years and those big time national games, college game day, all that sort of stuff, right? On that same note with with Oregon being able to strengthen their schedule, it ties into kind of the, the flexibility you have over the course of a season. Because think about this past season. If we'd lost to Ohio State, but won out in the conference, except for Utah, right? If we had lost to Ohio State, but then going into the Utah game where one loss undefeated Pac-12 team. Do you think that we are given the same level of respect or looked upon in the same way as beating Ohio State, a fluky loss to Stanford, as the one loss going going into the Utah game? I think the answer is no, because the Pac-12 has been very, very weak. And so if USC is able to get back to a place where they're a perennial top 10, top 15 program, I mean, just their their name alone is worth quite a bit if they're just in the top 20. What you allow Oregon to be able to do is lose an early season game, but still have quality games remaining on the schedule. Because when I think about Oregon getting into the college football playoff, I don't want them to have to win a big-time non-conference game because that's asking a lot. Again, I want them to do that because it's awesome when they do, and that's the sort of aspirational program I want Oregon to be. But in the years where we don't beat Ohio State and instead lose to Auburn or lose to LSU, you have to have highly competitive, highly ranked games remaining on your schedule or you're not going to be able to work yourself back into the playoff discussion. You can have one loss and get into the playoff. You can't have two, but you can have one, especially if it's to a really good team, but even if it's to just kind of an okay team, right? I mean, we were back in it, back in the mix right there even with that loss to Stanford, because now the committee has the discretion to watch the game and go, okay, they were missing their offensive coordinator, and there was a fluky series there with the officiating. It was just a a weird day, right? But not having Moorhead was even more impactful than one of the worst officiating sequences we've ever seen, even by Pac-12 standards. But if we lost Ohio State a season ago, I don't think we would have had the strength of schedule to get back to the college football playoff, right? Because you would have had a couple of wins over Utah if, if we'd been able to win out, but... Am I confident that that would have gotten us in over an undefeated Cincinnati? No, not really. I, I I don't know. It's possible. But am I sure that that would have been the case? No, because the conference has been so down. So if you have a top 10 caliber USC program that is on your schedule, and if the Pac-12 is smart, they'll match up USC and Oregon every year. And I'm all about that smoke. I want to play the Trojans every year because I want to beat them. And I want Oregon to be good and have the sorts of wins they need to stay in the college football playoff discussion and not be reliant on beating an Ohio State on the road. Because I think if you play that game five or ten times, Oregon's probably losing seven or eight of them out of ten, or three or four out of five. But that was the one that they were able to make work, even though they allowed a bunch of yards defensively. But if you look at the Pac-12, it's just so weak right now and so down that you don't have those sorts of wins. Conference wins, yes, they're always good. They're always important. But if you don't have the sorts of nationally televised games that you need to gain respect when it comes to your strength of schedule in the eyes of the college football playoff committee to launch yourself back up, 
right? The way kind of that we did in 2011 until we lost to USC, right? It was an opening loss to LSU, but then we had all these wins. But what was what was the most important win in there? It was Stanford, and Stanford was a top 10 team. And that put Oregon squarely back in the mix of maybe getting the national championship game until we lost to USC, who was on probation at the time, but was a top, you know, 15, 20 caliber program when they had Lane Kiffin and Maldonado missed the, I think it was a 38-yard field goal wide left to tie the game at 38 and go to overtime where Oregon probably wins that game, maybe gets into the national championship game, maybe not, right? But you have to have those sorts of opponents. And then it was Stanford, but Stanford's down right now. And I think it'll take them a year or two to get back to a top 10, a top 10 level as a program. They could maybe make a huge leap this year, but that'd be a dramatic, dramatic turnaround. I just don't want to be reliant that much on the non-conference schedule and in having it be our only chance to serve as a resume builder, right? For something that the committee can look to and go, oh, that's a high quality win. That's boosting their strength of schedule. And that's why they should be in the college football playoff discussion. That is why I think USC being good, has some upsides for Oregon. And I understand that that there are drawbacks as well, but in my eyes, the positives outweigh the negatives here. Is it going to be tougher? Yes. But the opportunities, I think, are greater than they were before when USC was down and the whole conference is looked upon as a joke and was honestly comparable to the American in the last couple of years. I mean, the Pac-12 hasn't won a bowl game in the last two seasons. I, I mean, what is that? Like, that? that's just... It's a laughing stock at the moment. The American is legitimately close. The Pac-12 is ahead, but the American has closed the gap in that sense, and it shouldn't be that way. But having Lincoln Riley at USC, I think in a way can be beneficial for the Ducks because you can give them those big-time wins. You can give them those big-time games, get the sort of exposure that you need rather than you know playing them just on on Pac-12 Network, right? Is You, you want to be able to have those games that has – the attention of the college football world, right? And I'm going to talk about this more tomorrow. How much fun was that back in the day, right? When everyone's like, and we've had it in the last several years as well. When, when you know, everybody's watching you and when Oregon and USC square off, that gets the interest of teams down South. That gets the interest of fans back East to go, Oh, I want to watch Oregon and USC because they know both those teams really, really well. I mean, plus I love being on game day and what's bigger from a West coast football perspective than Oregon, USC. Answer in my eyes, not a darn thing. And I want to see some big-time Titan-level showdowns between Oregon and USC football in the coming years. Lincoln Riley over here, Dan Lanning over there. Line them up. Let's go. All right, this is the uh, final edition of our continuing mailbag question answer. And if you ever want a question answered here on the show, it's off-season, everybody. Students aren't there. You can get a question answered on the show here really easily. Heck, you can do it during the season, too. Ask me anything you want, preferably about the Ducks. But if you want to ask me a life question, maybe I'll answer it on here, depending on what it is. You can do that in one of four ways. You tweet with the hashtag AskLODPod, or you can DM me on Twitter at LockedOnDucks or at Smalls underscore 55, or you hop in the YouTube comments. I respond to those on there. I monitor them every day. I usually try to check them once or twice a day. So if you leave a comment or a question, I don't respond right away. Probably there's a good chance I'm on the golf course, honestly. <laughs> that's, that's probably where I am. But then I come back, get to my laptop, go check the comment section, see if people are asking questions. And I love seeing the engagement from all you out there. I've been absolutely overjoyed with all of it. And I love that you listen to the show. So thank you. Thank you. 
Last one here, uh, courtesy of Nine Family Bryce, who hopped in via the YouTube comment section and said, hey, can you break down all the guys who are going to be new for Oregon basketball this year that are going to come in, including the JUCO players? And I, of course, responded, why, yes, I can, Nine Family Bryce. So we've done Kella Ware. We've done Dior Johnson. We did, uh, oh, my gosh, I just blanked on his name. That's that's kind of that's kind of bad. Um <laughs> Tyrone, Tyrone Williams, I think. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. It's just one of those, an old teacher. Yeah, Tyrone Williams. It's one of those uh, things my favorite teacher in high school, Mr. Noble, used to call a moment of cerebral, cerebral flatulence, uh, or more commonly known as a brain fart. So the, the final newcomer in 2022 is a guy by the name of Brennan Rigsby. He comes over from Northwest Florida State College in Niceville, Florida. He originally went to the Wasatch Academy in Utah, which has produced some Really nice college basketball players over the years. He had a three-star JUCO rating, but that's different from an overall composite rating, which he didn't have, whereas Tyrone Williams rates as a three-star transfer and a three-star JUCO prospect. This guy just has a JUCO rating, so I think he just doesn't quite have the hype or attention. And when I was watching some of his film, I understand why. He did have a pretty solid lineup of of, of schools that were after him. I think, the, I think the Ducks were the biggest basketball brand of the group he chose oregon over buffalo mercer oklahoma missouri and new mexico state so you know you've got some whack and other mid-majors in there but you got oklahoma you got missouri too uh he's 6'3 180 pounds with a vertical around 40 inches he, he's got some bunnies he, he's definitely a guy who goes in the lane and when he jumps to, to throw one down you're like whoa that was uh didn't, didn't see that one coming uh he he's he's got some leaping ability but 63180 is his size. And I think this is why he started at the JUCO level and hasn't garnered like a, a ton of hyper attention. And, you know, sometimes it's guys like that that end up being huge big time players. I don't think that's what he's going to project as because if 63180 seems a little thin, that's because he looks pretty thin. Now, he has the opportunity to bulk up, sure, but right now, he's he's pretty skinny. <laughs> he, he's he's pretty darn skinny. But, you know, when you watch his game, he's quick. He's got a pretty fluid release, shoots very well off a screen, which I think is essential for somebody who's not going to be a physically dominating player. Uh, he's got good range shooting from beyond the arc. He doesn't have to be, you know, right on the line to shoot a three. Like, he, he can go a couple feet beyond. Um, I'm not sure how much of an impact he'll make this year because I feel like he just needs a, a season to bulk up, you know, and I just – I would love to ask an Oregon coach about, you know, kind of what the, what they see for all these guys. And that might might be in the works. I hope I'm trying. Uh, we'll just we'll just see. Like and subscribe to, to stay tuned with all that sort of stuff wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Appreciate that as always. But I, I think Oregon was his biggest offer for a reason. Oklahoma comparable. But I think the Ducks have a stronger brand, even though the one time they met in the tournament was Buddy Heald going off. Like on the whole, Oregon has a stronger body of work as a basketball program with Dana Altman. Compared to Oklahoma, who just had to hire Porter Moser from Loyola Chicago because their previous coach wasn't working out and such. So I, I think, you know, from a physical standpoint, he's a little limited despite the the big time jumping ability. I think he projects maybe at best as kind of like a three point specialist off the bench who, you know, kind of surprises you when, when he when he shoots a two. Like he's got really he's got really nice touch on, you know, kind of his, his floaters around the rim and such. But overall. You know, I, I don't watch him and think that he has as high of a ceiling as Tyrone Williams, right? I, I think Williams 
can can slide in and replace Eric Williams. I, I think that he's going to be able to come in and be uh, an immediate bench player and 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 come in and just contribute right away. So I, I think that it's Williams to Williams, lefty to lefty. There's just it's it's too perfect. I mean, he's got to be the new Eric Williams. <laughs> he just he absolutely has to be. But here's here's what I will say that Brennan Rigsby ha- has going for him. Number one. The fact that he doesn't have a composite rating, maybe that puts a chip on his shoulder. He grinds, bulks up a little bit, proves me wrong. I, I don't think he's a bad player or, or anything of the sorts. I'm just saying when I watch him, like I don't see that being a high impact player, but maybe a specialist here from time to time. Oregon does need depth. You know, he we, we, we do need depth. We've lacked that from from time to time. And, you know, Altman a season ago basically ran an eight man rotation, sometimes even seven if we had an injury or if a guy wasn't playing well. Uh, we'll see if Rivaldo Soares can kind of pop off the bench this year. But I'll close with this. Fans are often spiritual or religious kind of in the sports sense. You know, it's like you're looking for these weird niche things to know like, oh, yeah, that, 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 that's why he'll work. There's no actual rhyme or reason to it, but that, that's why he could work. He does come from the same junior college as Chris Duarte. Northwest Florida State College. Just saying, just, I'm I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'm just going to say that that could be maybe maybe that's what he needs to you know get him over the hump. It's just just a little bit of historical magic in there. But nine family Bryce on YouTube. Thank you for the question. Keep them coming. Basketball, football. Heck, if you want to ask about baseball or softball, fire away. I will answer. Them all, thanks for making this your first listen. Go make Locked On Pack 12 your second. I'm hosting over there talking about all things related to the Conference of Champions. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.